This is Workers' Comp Matters, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, the only legal talk network program that focuses entirely on the people and the law in workers' compensation cases. Nationally recognized trial attorney, expert, and author, Alan S. Pierce is a leader committed to making a difference when workers' comp matters. Welcome to this edition of Workers' Comp Matters here on the Legal Talk Network. I am your host, Alan Pierce of the law firm of Pierce, Pierce & Napolitano. We are coming to you today from Boston, Massachusetts at the Workers' Compensation Research Institute, and we are very pleased to have a couple of exciting guests. Before we get started, we would like to thank our sponsors, Case Pacer, practice management software dedicated to the busy trial attorney. To learn more, go to casepacer.com. And also PI Now. Find a local qualified private investigator anywhere in the U.S. Visit PINow.com to learn more. Well, my first guest today is Ms. Dongchun Wang. Dongchun is an economist at the Workers' Comp Research Institute, and her research has been focused on medical practice patterns and medical care delivered to injured workers. She is the lead author of several studies that evaluate physician dispensing reforms in a number of states and she has participated or authored several WCRI studies on the utilization of workers' compensation pharmaceuticals and prescribing patterns of opioids. During her tenure with WCRI, she has participated in earlier editions of the CompScope benchmarks and several public policy studies. She holds a master's degree in applied economics, did her graduate work in econometrics, labor economics, and industrial organization at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Dong Chun, we welcome you very much to Workers' Comp Matters. Thank you so much, Alan. Uh, thank you for inviting me. We heard you speak today, and you presented uh, some materials regarding the impact of physician dispensing reforms. Tell us what the origins of that study was. What were you focusing on identifying and learning? Well, we started doing the study and monitoring the uh, physician dispensing reforms like a, a couple of years ago. So we do this kind of study on an annual basis, and we have a database. We collect data from multiple data sources in multiple states. So we're just uh, looking at the data and uh, kind of monitoring and evaluating the impact of the reforms on physician dispensing on the frequency and cost of physician dispensing. Okay, well, let's begin by defining our terms. How would you differentiate physician dispense drugs from what I as a consumer would go to my pharmacy at CVS or Walgreens and pick up a prescription? Well, so when we talk about prescriptions, we're basically talking about prescriptions that are either uh, dispensed at physicians' offices or at ph- pharmacies. But when we talk about physician dispensed prescriptions, we're talking about those that are, uh, it could be that you go to physicians' offices and get a uh, prescription filled at office. Or if it's a medical center, occupational medical centers or clinics, uh, if they dispense prescriptions there, and we also identify them as physician-dispensed prescriptions. As opposed to, what would be the term for the prescriptions that we would pick up at the pharmacy? Well, uh, if you pick up a a prescription at pharmacy, that would be pharmacy-dispensed prescriptions. All right, so I am assuming that there is a price differential between the costs that a workers' comp insurance company would pay for a prescription for Vicodin that the doctor gave the patient as opposed to the Vicodin the patient would pick up at the local pharmacy. 
Yes, indeed. And if you're looking at the uh, some slides that I was showing this morning, that uh, prior to the reforms, the physician prices, basically uh, prices for physician dispensed Vectin was much higher than the pharmacy prices for the same drug. And oftentimes it would be double, triple, sometimes like four times as high as pharmacy prices. And where is the additional money going? Where is the profit point for this? Is this at the physician's office as opposed to the normal retail uh, supplier of the prescription? Well, in our data, we do not track each step in the whole channel. What we observe is basically what's uh, the insurance company or what's the payer paid uh, for prescriptions dispensed. So uh, I'm not able at this point to decompose that for you to basically say how many of the dollars goes to where. Okay. Now, there is a term and an acronym that came up in your talk, AWP, which is average wholesale price. Is that the baseline that you use to measure cost? No. Actually, average wholesale price is just a reference price, and it's not even linked to the cost. It's just a, it's like a tag price. So, manufacturer, they can assign a price, and it's called average wholesale price, but it's not linked to cost. Now, when you mention that uh, before reforms have after reforms, let's talk about where. what is the reforms. Uh, is, are these done on a state-by-state basis, or is there something broader that has reformed the methodology of payment? Yes. So if you're looking at workers' comp, workers' comp is basically state-level system. So uh, most of the reforms are within workers' comp, in a couple of states, there are some legislative changes, like a Florida banning physician from dispense. Prevent, uh, Florida prevents physicians from uh, dispensing? Banning physicians from dispensing Schedule 2, Schedule 3, opioids, that's like a state level, the, uh, the pill mill bill, that's a state level legislation. But most of the reforms are through regulatory channel within workers' comp, mostly if you look at 18 states that already made changes, those are the changes made to the reimbursement, uh, the rules governing reimbursement for the uh, workers' comp physician dispense, the workers' comp pharmaceuticals. Okay. Can I assume that not every state allows physician dispensed medications? Well, in the U.S., there are uh, five, six states where physician dispensing is not allowed in general. And there are a couple of other states where physician dispensing is allowed, but uh, it's infrequent in practice. So what were the major findings from your study uh, as to the cost impact of uh, reforming the ability of physicians to dispense medications? So if you're looking at the impact of those reforms that are focusing on reduce the cost of physician dispensing, uh, indeed they had positive impact and we see substantial price reductions after the reforms and we see that in all the reform states we studied. However, we also see the, the price differentials remain considerable after the reforms and we attribute that to several factors. But most importantly, there's some evidence emerging about the new strength drug products that are quickly picked up by some physician dispensers. When physician dispensers, they uh, they dispense those drugs, they paid much higher prices. So in a sense, in some states, outweighed the saving as a result of reform. So we see some like price increases. For example, I talked about the price increase for Vectin in Illinois after the reforms. And uh, in Illinois, is this 
is this Vicodin? It's a Vicodin, and we were talking about the new strength, which is two and a half milligram hydrocodone and 325 milligram acetaminophen. So these are higher doses. No, they're not higher doses. If you uh, compare this, do- if you compare the strengths with other existing strengths, this is actually the lowest. Oh, so okay. they they're not they're not stronger, but they're more expensive. All right, but for my client, and uh, I I don't study this, and I don't I certainly don't pay for it. I'm not associated with an insurance company, but when my client goes to his doctor or her doctor, complaining of pain, and the doctor prescribes Vicodin. I can tell you from my client's perspective, all he or she wants is to get a pain relief. To my client, does it doesn't matter where he or she gets her prescription? Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably one of the reasons in the consideration in a couple of reform states. For example, uh, Pennsylvania, the uh, 2014, they made changes to basically restrict physician dispensing to a short time frame. So that basically says if you really suffer pain and you need Vectin, well, you can get a couple of pills to relieve and then you go to pharmacy to fill it up. So the pharmacies are cheaper than physicians. That's what you found. Yes. And of course, if you look on the broad picture among hundreds, thousands, or tens of thousands of patients, claimants, injured workers, and insurance companies, a small savings per pill or a small savings per prescription adds up to, is it millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars? We do not have an accurate estimate on how many dollar, how much money uh, the reforms will help to save, but certainly a workers' comp is a big program. And yeah, but just look at the markups between physician prices and pharmacy prices. That would say something. Mm-hmm. Now, after reform, has there been a significant, has your study revealed significant uh, downturn in costs? We are pretty much evaluating the cost for individual drugs because there are some technical complexity if you are trying to estimate cost savings, and we haven't really done a study to really estimate cost savings because of the reforms. Would it be a fair statement that the reforms are basically focused on price? Yeah, because prior to reforms, uh, you know, this this whole wave of repackaged drugs that get into workers' compensation, and those repackaged drugs were charged and paid much higher prices, and that's the exact issue that the workers' comp reforms have been trying to address, to cap the prices for physician-dispensed repackaged drugs. Okay. And by repackaged drugs, is that just a synonym for physician-dispensed drugs? They would take drugs and repackage them, or is there something broader? Well, physician dispensing drugs is actually a broader term. So uh, if you're talking about repackaged drugs, that's the repackagers who actually uh, like buy in a, the big bottle of pills and open the bottle and put them into a small packet, packet, like a 30 pills or you know, 15 pills. And that adds some convenience to the physicians when they dispense prescriptions, but physicians can, o- can also dispense uh, the readily made bottles. And for what time period did your study cover and about how many states did it involve? Well, in the previous version of the multi-state states, we covered 21 states and uh, we went back to, I remember it's 2009, 2010-ish, uh, and, the, uh, and the latest study, we have the data up to the first quarter of 2013. 
So what's next? Do you have a, the next step of uh, study based on uh, what you've uncovered thus far? Uh, yes, this is a kind of a line of research we are doing on an annual basis, and we're still in the process of collecting data. So we add more, one more year of uh, prescription data to our database, and we're cleaning it up, and uh, we're trying to see the latest trends and patterns in the data for the states we study. Okay. And what would you say, did you have any findings that surprised you in this study? Well, one thing that really jumped out, as I mentioned uh, in my presentation, that was the increase in the prices for Vectin in Illinois, because when you talk about the, those price-focused reforms, the goal, the whole the goal is to reduce the cost of physician-dispensed drugs. But instead of seeing the price reduction, you're seeing price actually increase substantially. That came up as a surprise, and we digged it further and found um, those new strength drug products that are dispensed by physicians. Well, I want to thank you very much. We are going to conclude this part of the program. Uh, after a brief break, we are going to be joined by Dr. Vanella Thamala, and uh, she presented a paper on physician dispensing drugs, whether that leads to unnecessary opioid use. So, Ms. Wong, I want to thank you very much for your study, for participating in Workers' Comp Matters, and uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for having me. We are going to take a break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Case Pacer is the leading practice management software for today's workers' comp and plaintiff's attorney. Named one of the fastest-growing companies in America by Inc. Magazine, we've given attorneys and their staff the ability to work from anywhere on any device. By automating workflows and streamlining non-revenue-generating tasks, CasePacer enables firms to grow their practice at minimal cost. To see CasePacer in action, contact us today at CasePacer.com. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters. This is Alan Pierce, and we are going to continue our discussion from the Workers' Compensation Research Institute. My next guest is Dr. Venela Thumala. Dr. Thumala is a policy analyst here at WCRI. She conducts research examining costs, prices, and utilization of pharmaceuticals in state workers' compensation systems, focusing on prescribing patterns of opioids and physician dispensing. She is currently involved in a research project examining the self-reported outcomes of injured workers, including recovery of health and functioning, speed and sustainability of return to work, and access to care. Dr. Thumala received her PhD from the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. And uh, Dr. Thumala, welcome to Workers' Comp Matters. Thank you, Alan. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Okay. Uh, today's uh, topic that you spoke on in the paper that you, um, in the r research report 
is entitled, Does Physician Dispensing Lead to Unnecessary Opioid Use? Uh, Ms. Wong, who was a guest just before you, spoke a bit about physician dispensing as opposed to the other ways my clients, our injured worker population, gets their medications. So you were looking primarily at the uh, use of opioids from physician-dispensed offices. Tell us, um, first of all, let's define opioids. I think we know what those are, but give us mm-hmm. uh, a description for the layman. What, what are opioids? You commonly hear of these drugs called Oxycontin, Percocet in the news. Uh, we refer to them as opioids and sometimes as narcotics. These are a class of pain medications um, that are commonly used in the workers' compensation system. And they're of various strengths and various effectiveness, both long-term and short-term? Correct. There are some short-acting opioids. Vicodin, for example, is a short-acting opioid. And there are long-acting opioids. Oxycontin, you can t- usually it's an extended-release product, so you take it one a day as opposed to taking multiple medications a day. And um, there are different schedules of opioids. Now, Schedule 2 an example of that would be OxyContin. What it means is that it has a higher uh, potential for abuse and addiction compared to opioids that are in Schedule 3 or Schedule 4. I think we heard from our previous um, guest that there is a cost differential between the opioids or the pharmaceuticals that I would get at CVS or Walgreens then as opposed to what I would get from a physician. Was your study focused on cost or was it more focused on the necessity or the the frequency or amount of opioid prescriptions? So historically, uh, most of the WCRI studies about physician dispensing have focused on prices. Uh, Florida is one of the states that we have looked at in that context. Uh, This particular study does not address prices and costs. It's mainly focused on uh, how a particular reform in Florida has changed the prescribing and dispensing patterns of physician dispensers, how it led to a behavioral shift. We have had prior uh, Workers' Comp Matters shows on the effect of long-term opioid use on the entire system of Workers' Comp. There are certain questions as to the efficacy of long-term use of OxyContin, for example, how safe that is. I think we can all agree that when these drugs were put on the market, they were really designed for short-term intense pain, usually post-surgical pain. And we have learned painfully through history that a lot of my clients become addicted. They become dependent. And this has health consequences for them. It has health consequences for their family. It certainly has cost consequences. And it also leads to other problems. So there are efforts in most states through either chronic pain treatment guidelines or other methods of dealing with and controlling the use of opioids in particular uh, to not only save uh, the health of our workers, but obviously to, to reduce costs. So I know in Florida that was a particular problem for many years. I think our prior guest referred to it as a pill mill bill, which was a piece of legislation that was aimed at directing some changes in the ability of these 
mills, these offices, to dispense opioids. Mm -hmm. So I take it the impetus for your, your research here was to find out whether once a legislature, once a system puts limits on what a, a physician could dispense, what effect that would have on the use of opioids. Would that be a fair characterization? That is correct. Uh, what we wanted to, when we first heard about the Florida pill mill bill, what we tried to see was what is happening to the utilization of opioids after the ban and how things have changed. We did not expect to see the opioids to go away. We expected to see the opioids to shift to the pharmacies. Okay. So I guess that leads to the question, what did you find? Did you find what you expected or did you find something different? We did find something different. What we expected was a similar rate of prescribing. Uh, what we found was a decrease in the prescribing rates. Effectively, we looked at 12 months of uh, prescription utilization among injured workers after the ban came into effect, and we saw a 12% reduction in workers who initiated opioids in the first 12 months after their injury. So once there was a limit on what a physician was prescribing in terms of opioids, what was the alternative? What, were, what would or could physicians prescribe that may not be in the class of a strong opioid? The ban was specific to physician dispensing of Schedule 2 and Schedule 3 opioids. They could prescribe all other pain medications. Uh, we saw an increase in the workers who got non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen. Uh, and we also saw an increase in weaker opioids like tramadol. And did you find that uh, after the initial prescription for the NSAIDs or the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or the weaker opioids that there was a return to the class 2 or the stronger opioids or... Did it remain at the lower level? Surprisingly, very few patients who got these weaker opioids or NSAIDs after the ban came into effect eventually filled a stronger opioid at the pharmacy, which brings into question whether the stronger opioids that physician dispensers were prescribing before the ban were necessary. And uh, did your study reveal any... Uh, well, it, it certainly dealt with the frequency of opioid use. How about the, the costs to the, the payors, the workers' comp insurers? Was there an effect that's been measured as yet as to any decrease in cost? We have not looked at the, the impact of this particular reform on costs, uh, but Florida also implemented a price-focused reform, uh, like the ones Don Chong talked to you about earlier in Florida, and we have this annual series of physician dispensing benchmarking reports, and uh, we hope to see how the uh, prices have changed in Florida for physician dispensed drugs with that study. So would it be a fair summary of your study that when a physician dispenses uh, a drug in the office that there is an increase of higher opioid use among the patient population than when the patient has to go elsewhere for the, uh, to fill the prescription? It appears to be the case. I mean, this ban was specific to opioids. So it raised the question whether opioids that were being prescribed is unnecessary. Now, if a ban is placed on all physician dispensed drugs, we don't know how the behavior is going to change then. 
Now, is, is your study limited to the state of Florida? Uh, yes. Are there any other states in which it is on the horizon that there will be a similar type of uh, legislation to, uh, to curb uh, the use of physician-dispensed opioids? I think in Tennessee, in October 2013, uh, a similar uh, reform came into effect. Uh, there is a ban on physician dispensing of uh, Schedule II, three controlled substances. Uh, it, it not, it's not a ban, uh, but they're not required to. And, and just keep in mind, the fact that a physician is no longer allowed to dispense the opioid, the physician can still write out the script. Correct. The ban in Florida was on just dispensing. They can continue to prescribe these medications, but there are several other provisions in the uh, Florida pill mill bill that uh, require physicians to register as controlled substance prescriber if they want to continue to. And is this a profitable line of, of uh, income stream to a physician to be able to dispense as well as prescribe? This morning in the presentations, you might have uh, seen the brochure that Alex Swedlow from California Workers' Compensation Institute was showing you. Um, most of these physician dispensing companies market the physician dispensing idea, concept, to physicians talking about the money that is involved. Okay. And let's, let's be clear and be fair to doctors in Florida and everywhere else. It isn't every doctor's office. It isn't every doctor that treats injured workers that would be dispensing medication. There were specific clinics, mill, the word mill has kind of a connotation of a, a pejorative nature, but there were certain clinics specifically set up and designed for and, and, and looking for a client base of, of injured workers. That's a very great point, Alan. I should have brought it up, but when we are talking about the physicians and how their behavior has changed, uh, we are talking about the making inferences about the average physician, but it could be driven by a very small proportion of physicians who were prescribing these strong opioids uh, to begin with. It, it's obviously not about all physicians in uh, Florida. Yeah, and I can tell you, uh, again, I'm a workers' comp lawyer, so I just deal with my clients. And my, when I have issues, it has to do with whether the insurance company is going to pay for it. I do not believe we have the ability here in Massachusetts to have these types of physician-dispensed opioids. So here it's not, mm -hmm. it's not a problem or a cost driver, but I can understand uh, if you go around the various jurisdictions in the country that it, it could be. So... I want to thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Thumala. Uh, your presentation was excellent. It was timely. It was appropriate. And it folds into the bigger issue that we are grappling with, which is the widespread use of opioids in the treatment of chronic pain. And more to that, whether there are other safer, less expensive, and again, it's not for money purposes, but it's for health purposes, ways of dealing with my clients who suffer from chronic pain. I don't like to see them going down the road of refilling their OxyContin month after month after month. It's, I have seen the effects. I have seen suicide. I have seen marriage breakups. I've seen problems with the law. Uh, I have seen families destroyed. Not necessarily because the, the uh, physicians or the system is out of whack. It is because Nobody is ready to tackle the issue of how do you deal with chronic pain, and one of the easiest things is here, take a pill. And uh, I think we've learned painfully that is not 
the long-term solution, or maybe the short-term solution, but the, not, not the long-term. So I want to thank you for being a guest. Again, this is Workers' Comp Matters. This is Alan Pierce. I want to thank you for joining us and hope you listen to a future show and go out and make it a day that matters. Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.